Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. It's all my childhood figures. Um, You're kidding. <laughs> and yeah. they're here now. They're all there. What three wrestling matches would you watch if you were stranded on a desert island? This is what I'm asking wrestling's best. In the ring, around the ring, behind the scenes, or behind a microphone. I'm Tom Campbell. Thank you for joining me on Cultaholic Island for another episode of Desert Island Graps. Joined again on Cultaholic Island by a resident of Cultaholic Island. Look at this. Yeah. Sound driver. How are you doing, mate? How are you doing? This is an odd... Uh, this is the one I think I've been most intrigued to do. Why? <laughs> Genuinely. Because I feel like... Like, I started here back in July? Right. July. And I don't feel Sorry, like... Sorry, I'm being rude by... No, no, by all means. You drink I'll, whatever I'll you need to. I'll, I'll, I'll want you, I don't want you all hearing, like... Please do. <laughs> A bit of ASMR. We can add that. But no, <laughs> I, I feel like I feel like that out of everybody here, I don't think you and I have spent as much time together. I think it's the way that our work sort of falls. So yeah. I'm always either editing or like we'll quickly do a news, but it's like it's always find out at like quarter past nine and it's like, ah, hurry. And then it's just in, out, done. And There's normally yeah. low. You've got like a whole busy schedule. I don't think we've done a reactions together. I don't think we've done much. No, like just we haven't. on camera. So yeah. So, uh, so if, if any, this is an adventure for people to find out more about you and yeah. kind of for me yeah, so, <laughs> as well. Yeah, you've got pretty much unrestricted access oh so gosh hello, hello you pervert it's yeah. quite shocking um the, the first thing that i learned about you and i and i made this mistake very early on um your name is sam but not as we know it what, what do you mean well your name isn't samuel no my name isn't samuel no it's, no. it's sam my mom used to get really angry with people that would call me samuel uh but yeah no i was just christened sam i think i was like nearly william uh my middle name is william um i think i will have been like william driver and a numeral or at least I could have put a new role in there, and that would have been cool. But you know, why, why, why the particular anger about Samuel as opposed to Sam? I have no idea. I yeah. think it's just because Sam was my name. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. It was like he's not called Samuel. It wasn't like she wasn't like you know flipping tables and stuff. It oh always, no, it'd always just be like. <laughs> Whenever somebody would call me, Samuel. I think I think I remember the first. Time, I think I said it quite a flippant way in a video, and you yeah. were very quick to go. It's not Samuel. <laughs> I was it's like, just, oh, it's, it's like, okay. It's hard, it's hard burned into me now. Yeah, it's, you uh, yeah. you've taught that. It's just because I always. You, I think a lot of people take the assumption that that that, that long version of the name is well, for when you're it in trouble. It tends to be. It tends to be. Yeah. Whenever somebody says Samuel, it's like they're being all like, "Whoa, I've caught you out," and it's like, "No, you haven't." See, my name isn't Samuel at all. I have <laughs> deceived you. You're clearly not talking to me anymore. <laughs> 
Um, the other the other thing that struck me as soon as you walked in, um, you're the only one that I've ever sat down with that's prepared. Yes. Yeah, so you told me in advance we were doing this. I wanted to make sure I had some <laughs> notes on the matches. I have the mind of like an 85 year old. <laughs> I really need to start doing some more, like mental like mentally engaging I mean Christ the way I'm talking right now shows you how my brain is um, I need to start doing something more mentally engaging with my time I think I'm maybe going to take up a language or something just to like give me a bit of like something to, to jog my head a bit because uh, I do just I'll like forget I'll just unless it's something I've got to do like by a set time and I've got to know I'm just like sort of sat there and then the time will go past and I'm like I'm sure I had to do something <laughs> And then, like, Slack will be on fire, our office messaging app, and I'll be like, oh, yeah, got to do that. <laughs> Has there always been a case where you've not had a great memory? Oh, no, I think it's just with uh, with more sort of as my work has just progressed and progressed and progressed, um, and the nature of the work is just fast, 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 fast. And I'm like a sort of like a dog chasing cars sometimes. If I find something really cool or if I learn how to do something new, and if I've got some really pressing project on, and I know it has to be done by the end of the day, I might still just sit and mess around with it for a couple of hours through the day and then just stay a couple of hours after work because I'm having such a fun time learning something. So I sort of, I get sidetracked real easy. Um, but <laughs> it's it's not like a problem. It's just that, yeah, I'm quite forgetful. It's a sign of a creative though. It's it's more like just just get your stuff together, Sam. Come on, <laughs> like. <laughs> but it's but it's 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 also like that creative sign in the sense that, like you say, you want to you like to play around with it and make it right. Oh yeah, well it's sort of like I will sometimes I, the mood will just take me. I'll be sat at home. Um, so, well, this is the other thing as well. Sometimes you're sitting at home and it's like I should be working. It's like no, you shouldn't. But um, I like. If I've got something I want to learn how to do or if I'm sat watching a YouTube tutorial or like a video co-pilot tutorial on like this new editing technique or this new like plugin and I'm like, I've got to try it. And so I'll get a trial and then I'll, and I'll just sit for hours and before I know it, it's 2 a.m. And then I'm like sort of five or so minutes late to work the next morning, <laughs> knackered, you'll go, we need to do news and I'll literally be like, oh. <laughs> so I apologize for instances no, where there are There are some There's days. I'm just like, I, I can't I can't even I can't I can't even breathe. <laughs> I, I get it. There are there are some days when when something will happen and yeah. it'll be me and you doing news. And I'm very oh. aware that at a certain time in the morning. I think I told you after the first time it happened, I was like, I'm really sorry. Sometimes I just if I don't have yeah. coffee in five minutes, I can't and it sounds that's so devery. No, but no, like, no, you're not at all. It's like sort of I, I don't know what it is. It was I think I was just waking up later and later and I've just sort of got a bit complacent. I've started waking up at about seven ish. Mm. Like and even then that's not too early. But like I've started waking up about seven, which gives me a good like hour, hour and a half before I have to leave the flat now, which is good because it means I can get up. Just slowly wake up and then I get into work and I feel alive, not like oh, Fell out quite polarizing people on a morning. Yeah, you want you or it's been your job to be <laughs> to be engaging at early hours. I one thing is like I used to be a paper boy like way, way back in the day and I used to love getting up early. You get up early every single day and just sort of like I've come from the mentality of like you don't want to waste a day. So if you're gonna sit and like lounge around all day, 
either enjoy that to the fullest, otherwise, you know, it's sort of, it's a waste, so. I want to talk more about, like, downtime and other things away from wrestling in yeah. a little while, but the reason you're here today, Sam, yes. is uh, we're sending you on a desert island. Right. And we're going to burn onto a DVD for you because we're in the past. DVD? We're, a digital versatile disc. Can we not get a Blu-ray? Or a laser disc? I might give you a HD DVD. The, uh, <laughs> the one that Microsoft got behind that failed. Well, you, well uh, you know why HD DVD failed? Porn industry. Yes. Porn mm. industry has dictated... It's like random facts about yeah. porn. Porn industry has dictated physical media um, all the way through. So VHS versus Betamax. Betamax is more expensive. But they still use uh, Betamax like... In TV production now because it's capable of holding. Do they really? Yeah, yeah. There's, I never knew that. It's the, it's capable of holding like really really high res um, stuff on it. There's I can't remember the exact reason, but yeah, Betamax is still in use today in some circles. Um, but that was more expensive. DVD was cheaper than Laserdisc, and then you and plus Laserdisc was like this. Nobody's going to buy porn on a disc <laughs> that big. Um, and then yeah, you had uh, Blu-ray versus HD DVD. Blu-ray was cheaper. So that was it. I was working at HMV when the Blu-ray HD DVD wars oh, were starting. And I, I, I very nearly bought the <laughs> Xbox 360 add-on. And I was so happy that I didn't because it was like six months. There was about 12 <laughs> HD DVDs <laughs> to the point where now it's, I think it's become like a collector's thing. Like people yeah. try and collect them all because, you know, it's what you do. But yeah, I was so happy I didn't get one. Well, I'll tell you what, just for you, we're going to give you a Betamax player. Okay. See that or a Ferguson video star. So right. You. <laughs> and Does it come with an actual remote or is it one of those horrible Betamax remotes where there's a cable? Oh, it's gonna... on a wire. Yeah, so I'm going <laughs> to... Of course it's on a wire. <laughs> I have to get up to be within a foot of the TV anyway. Absolutely. But I'm a foot away from the TV, so that, that's fine. I'll use the remote. So with this, <laughs> with this Betamax player and a controller yeah. or a wire, um, we're going to put three wrestling matches on for you to watch whilst you're on the island. Okay. Um, so what's your first wrestling match going to be? So um, wrestling to me is something that sort of, uh, I was very, very young when I got into it, uh, as on most of us. Um, and the most vivid memories I have, I think the first memory I have of wrestling is, it was like a weekend, I was around at my auntie's house and her son was watching, like my cousin, he was watching, uh, it was some WWF show, but I just remember the flash of colors. I remember the old school ring. I remember doink. I like the, the colors of doink. And then after that, I sort of, didn't really know much about wrestling. I know, like, my mum was a huge fan of The Undertaker. Um, my dad, I think, dipped in and out. But it would be Friday nights when um, my mum would work late. My dad would be watching me because, like, he'd finish at normal time. Uh, and about 9 o'clock, like, I wouldn't have to go to bed because it was Friday night. So me and my dad would stay up, and it was, like, cool, secret, stay up and watch some stuff. Um, and... It was like nine o'clock. It was on, do you remember Satellite Dish? Like Satellite Provider before, uh, I think cable was around at the same time, but a lot more homes had Satellite. We didn't have Sky, but we had like this package that enabled us to get Cartoon Network. Uh, and then at nine o'clock, Cartoon Network changed over to TNT. Oh, and yeah. that Friday, it, like every Friday, I think it was a repeat from the Monday's Nitro at nine o'clock. So first thing would happen, it would switch over to static and then it would just go straight into the Nitro intro. That'll be it. So like vivid memories of that. And so I think like a lot of my selections are gonna be based around, cause you know, I'm stuck on an island forever mm. and I'm alone, cause I'm assuming I'm alone. Um, you're gonna wanna be able to sort of reminisce and remember people and stuff. So 
I could just fill the island with, you know, the, the sorry, the Betamax with with work rate classics, <laughs> but it's not worth anything if it if I don't have some sort of connection to it. So for my first pick, I'm going for um, a very controversial match: uh, Hollywood Hogan versus Goldberg, uh, the World Championship match from WCW Monday Nitro, sixth of July, 1998. With this, um, with what you say about about your memories of watching WCW in the UK. Yeah. My favorite statistic about this time in wrestling yeah. is that with regards to the UK, WCW won the Monday Night War. Yeah. Because more people were, had access to WCW worldwide than anything else. What channel was it on? Was channel it, 5. Channel 5, yeah. So, I mean, but even then, that's coming along lakes. Channel 5 was, what, 98, 99? Yeah, it was. So, yeah. And even then, no, not everybody could get it because it was only broadcast over certain bands. But I remember worldwide briefly. I remember the like the comic book Microsoft Paint, like, pow and ouch <laughs> and stuff that would turn up over oh, chair yes, shots. yes, that was yeah. it. And they would have, like, it was a bit boing and, like, just weird <laughs> sound effects, which just completely ruined the seriousness. But it was, I guess, the only way they could get it on at, like, 9 a.m. weekends for kids. The so. other thing to do was what what WWF did at that time. Every time there was a chair shot, cut to a random shot of the crowd. Well, the, the, the thing I preferred that I wish they still did, rather than cut to the crowd, is just do the freeze frame. Freeze frame, Because yeah. the freeze frame, you heard the impact, you saw the chair get close to the head, it freeze and then it would just continue mm. after the impact it would just cut back to them like on the floor and like the heel sort of going mad for it but like i always thought that was a much better way to handle it uh than cut into the crowd because there is nothing worse than cut into the crowd um especially because it's it's always that moment of like the fan just sort of not knowing they're on camera and going like yeah they always look and then they see themselves and then they go and then just as they're getting excited, they cut away. It's like, you couldn't have a camera guy going like, come on, get mad for it. But yeah, that was it. Um, why Hogan Goldberg? Uh, well, it's sort of, I remember the NWO and it was the biggest, coolest thing in the world. And I think I was, there were only a couple of kids in my primary school who watched WCW, everybody else was WWF. Um, and they were missing out on NWO. And NWO was like, for me, just the craziest thing. Like, just absolutely the craziest thing. Um, and, like, Heel Hogan, it was just perfection. It was, like, at the time as a kid, it was just so, so good. Um, and then, obviously, you know, like, you had the Monday Night Wars, which spawned off everything, and it all went back and forth. But I think this was... this. Well, this was, this was WCW's last hurrah, basically. And it was, you know, as a WCW kid... This is a massively like important moment, I guess. It's up there with, for me, the final Nitro, because this is the last time WCW would beat WWF in the ratings, I believe. Uh, and simply because they put a pay-per-view quality match <laughs> on free TV. Um, the match itself is pretty standard. It's mm. pretty, you know, your 19-minute Goldberg entrance, Hogan coming down. There's a bit of interference from some NWO people, which is a bit crap. But... The back and forth, it's just proper golden age, 80s style, heel versus face, super simple, nothing over the top. Uh, Hogan gets to a point where, like, Goldberg's distracted. He hits him with three leg drops, and the crowd's like, no, 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 no. And then he kicks out. The place goes wild, uh, finally hits the spear. Like, it's it's just everything in the match. Like, the crowd's so hot for it. Everything was just perfect. It was like, for me, it captures perfectly what WCW was at the time and what it sort of meant as a company. And this is Goldberg, I think, like a year into his run. So there was obviously all of the 
is the streak going to end? Like all of that stuff, and it would obviously end horribly. But uh, <laughs> for this night, it was it was great. It felt like a star was born that night. Oh, he, well, he was very much born mm. beforehand. But it was it was yeah. This was sort of like solidifying him. But not everybody was happy. There was garbage being thrown in the ring. But you know, pushed to the moon. <laughs> the Goldberg I, was like my favorite as a kid because he just come in and just level people. That was the that was the appeal, wasn't it? There was nothing. Mm. There was nothing. OZT about his matches just come in batter somebody and leave watching him beat the absolute piss out of Disco Inferno like every week was just it was great <laughs> it was absolutely great I seem to remember in that match the, the, the point you mentioned with Hogan dropping three legs yeah um, and also remember as that was happening you had um Kurt Hennig Car- walks to the ring. Kurt Hennig Carl Malone was yeah. out there the mailman was it Carl Malone hitting a diamond cutter yes on Hennig on Hennig Outside the ring, <laughs> yeah. as that pivotal moment of like Goldberg kicking out, you, you hear you hear the leg go like the, for the final leg drop. You hear that as Hennig's like three quarters of the way down the ramp. Then it keeps cutting back and forward, and then yeah, he hits the diamond cutter, and you miss the first. I think one, and then like nearly, I think you catch from two, and you just get the kick out, and it's like. <laughs> oh, just but, you want to shake somebody a little you know, bit as I go. It's it's NWO, it's WCW. It's you know, it's it's got to happen. You've <laughs> got to have ninety million interferences. Otherwise, what's the point? Were you watching that one with your dad? I probably will have done. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's sort of just we just every Friday we just sort of roll over. Friday night was wrestling night. Yeah, basically. When you watch stuff like that, and we talk quite a bit, we've talked quite a bit already about sort of production elements of yeah. a wrestling show and putting that together. Uh, it's very much your forte. I wouldn't say it's my forte, uh, but I, I would. I, you know, I, I worked with WCPW. Uh, obviously, I was the live show director, for lack of a better word. I didn't really have a hand in much of the booking. I'd be privy to some meetings. I'd be told about some stuff in advance if we needed assets making. But for from the start, I was originally a camera guy at ringside. Shot it horribly, learned the hard way how to shoot wrestling. There is a specific way that you shoot wrestling. Um there is like a specific way certain things are handled there's i mean i did everything wrong um and you just sort of it gets like reintroduced to you properly so like we shot from all these awful angles uh we had mark and some of the guys from down south come in and they were like no this is how you do that and then we had running orders which i mean we didn't originally have running orders so it was nice to have running orders but then i met jim Cornette, and he was like no these are all wrong you need to do this 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 and this and i was like cool uh, and then, like, we had Delirious from Ring of Honor. Uh, he was like, no, you need to do this and this. He's like, I can see, like, you're doing this with all of your schedules. You need to change this up. And you just sort of piece by piece put put the puzzle together, I guess. But, yeah, it's... Uh... What do you mean by you filmed it wrong? So when you... There's something in, in uh, drama, in film theory, it's called the line of action. So, like... If you notice in a scene, if somebody's on the right, they'll always be on the right. There's like a a line and you're allowed to go 180 degrees and shoot from that angle. So that camera there, like the line of action between us is like parallel. So like it can go around, but you'll always stay on the left. I'll always stay on the right. So the way you do it is you have your hard cam shoot in and then you have a secondary hard cam. So the hard cam's just locked off. You have a secondary hard cam, which is roving, which, you know, you can get your slightly closer WWE style wide shot um and then you have for smaller wrestling anyway wwe doesn't adhere to this because they've got 90 million cameramen but most of the time it does work that way 
you have, so say you have your hard cam here, ring here, so hard cam's pointing that way. Your two cameras go like on these two corners nearest the hard cam. And then you shoot, you're all shooting toward the same way. And at that point, it makes it so much easier for the eye to digest. Uh, and especially if you're not going ham on cuts. Uh, sometimes you have to break those rules 100% because, you know, sometimes things spill out the ring. But the, like 90% of the time, you've got to sort of adhere to that line of action. And it makes it so much easier to to understand. When you um, when you were learning stuff like that, was there something, as, 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 a, as a film buff that you are, was there something that you learned that blew your mind? Uh not particularly like I, I I was more surprised that we'd have to adhere to line of action for sports uh, for like a sports style production um, it was mainly just little things where I was like this has been applied here okay I understand that like the thing that I sort of learned that blew me like completely away was just how subject change wrestling is like how nuts it can go how everything sort of no matter how well planned it is it all goes out the window like there's just things just change on a penny like the amount of times i'd have notes coming to me going oh we're moving this we're scratching that we're getting rid of this and then i'd have to tell adam who would then uh relay that to commentary and it's like okay we're not going to that vt anymore we need to buy time we're going to come to you you guys need to talk and then introduce it and then while they're talking They've got Adam in the ear going like, championship match next month, this pay-per-view, this is what we're doing. So they're having to listen to him and talk while doing all of this, while I'm like, stall, stall, stall. <laughs> and at the same time, I'm cutting all the cameras. Uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm dealing with the um, with Simon, who was running like the production, like the live screens and everything. He was feeding stuff to me, and then I'd feed stuff to sound, and then sound would feed stuff. So it was, it was a big collaborative experience. And when it goes right, it's fine. Like, it's absolutely fine. But, like, you you know, you don't expect a pat on the back. It's your job. But when it goes wrong, whoa. <laughs> There's, um, it's, uh, you, you know, the public lets you hear it. There was a, um, <coughs> excuse me, there was a, a WCPW retrospective yes. that you all sat down and did. And uh, on there, you, you do recount the story of yeah. um, the, the night the line failed, essentially. And yeah. we, so we won't go into that now. I think that's nice for people to find yeah. for themselves. How did it come, though, for you to go from operating a camera to being basically the, the Kevin Dunn of the operation, almost? It was sort of like, um, initially, it was like, we're, we're starting a promotion. It was like, what? Like, okay. <laughs> and then it was like, we're going to run a small show. Um, I was like, okay. And then, so I like handled camera. I was one of the camera operators on that. Uh, and then it was, okay, well, we were moving to the academy and it was like, okay. And then I sort of handled cameras again. And then it was, well, we want to do a live pay-per-view. And it's like, okay, well, how do we do a live pay-per-view and it's like well we need to vision mix we need this so we had to buy an equipment that would allow that and then you need uh at the same time you need a, a direct uplink to a satellite you need um like a, a decent enough connection to be able to do that you need all these things and because i'd done a little bit of vision mixing at uni um and I, because i'd used the software and i'd used like telecasting software before um i, I think it just sort of fell at my feet a bit and it was, I mean, it was something I was really happy to pick up and run, but I didn't for those first, like, because we, we ran like dry tests. So we would run like tapings in the academy. I would I would sit inside a stage and it wouldn't be going out to anybody. We'd just be recording it as a test. And I would just crap myself like the entire time. It was like, well, 
until you sort of work out the rhythm that everybody works at, until you work out how everybody's entrances go, like this guy's going to come out and he's going to stand still. This guy's not going to come out until this note. So there's no point cutting to that. What are you going to do in the meantime? You sort of, you build an understanding and you start to understand the language of the work in the ring. So, you know, he's throwing him here. Okay, go to this camera. And it gets to a point where, because everybody's learning this at the same time. The camera operators, the people doing sound, people doing everything. It's, it's all being learned at the same time. So it's one big learning experience. And then eventually you all speak the same language and I can just sit there without having to go camera two, camera three, camera one, camera three, camera two. I can just be like, cut, 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 cut. And then give him a quick heads up and be like, oh, we need to come to you for this. Um, but yeah, I think it sort of fell at my feet and it was... Yeah. It almost becomes muscle memory. Yeah, it's like I would love to do it again. I would love just once more, maybe, to to Vision Mix a show if I had enough time to like prep it. Because I think I could I could do a pretty good job still. Right, your second match second for the match. island, sir. Okay. Uh there's not really a lot to say about this one. Uh Undertaker versus Shawn Michaels, WrestleMania twenty five. Oh uh, twenty six takes the cake in terms of story. It's great, but twenty five is a much more athletic affair in my eyes. Uh, it's probably the last great Undertaker match if you include the year after as well. But this is, for me, this is like the last real great Undertaker match is 25. So in terms of like the quality of the match, you're the quality, The quality, yeah, the quality of the actual like contest yeah. back and forth. Because 26 was emotional, but 25 was just sort of like a straight up, I'm going to beat the streak. It's like, okay. And that's like, there wasn't so much going into it. It was just like a, a straight up contest. And I liked that. You mentioned at the beginning that your mum was an Undertaker fan. Yes. Does that make you an Undertaker fan as well? Yes, for life. Uh, it's it's just one of those things. Like it's, I think uh, we grew up in a household where Undertaker and Bret Hart and British Bulldog were like gods. <laughs> that, was, that was it. Like my mum used to have an Undertaker mug that she would drink out of every day. One of the like old hand painted like printy oh. WWF ones. You, you often see the Hulk Hogan ones because they made so many of those or the Macho Man ones, but it was just like a straight up white mug with a blue handle and just this like really dated picture, like hand-drawn picture of The Undertaker on it. Like one of the, it must have been like a, a very early 90s piece of official merch because it was just like, it was proper weird. <laughs> so the so the, it was a very wrestling household, as you mentioned earlier on. I, I think it was more that my mum was sort of a, a fan of wrestling. Then I got into it, and it was like, I need toys, I need this, I need that. And then because I got into it, my brother got into it. Uh, and so we had rings, we had figures. I mean, Christ, there's a bag of figures out there, uh, which I still need to take home. Is because, that? Yeah, there's a big bag of figures out there. What? Um it's all my childhood figures. Um, You're kidding. Yeah. They're here now. They're all there. Uh, but it's, so there's that. There's like, when my little sister, like when she was sort of growing up in that environment, she sort of watched it a little bit. But I think we very much created more of a, an obsession with wrestling. It was probably me and my brother than, than my mom. My mom just likes Undertaker. So she just cares about Undertaker, uh, which was super hard after Mania 33 when uh, I, I rang her like the next day and she was like, oh, how's it going? I was like, yeah, mom, uh, I, think, I think Undertaker's retired. And she was just like, what? I was like, yeah, I think he's retired. <laughs> it was just, yeah, sort of the day he finally retires. It's why I'm such an Undertaker fan. It's why whenever I'm in reactions, I cheer for him. But like, 
Yeah, the day he retires is going to be a dark day. Dark, dark How day. do you feel about The Undertaker currently? Uh, greatest character in professional wrestling, like, hands down. Like, there will never be another character like him. We are lucky enough to have somebody even a tenth as good as him in, in Bray Wyatt and The Fiend, and that's so amazing. That's how good Undertaker is. But, like, there is not going to be any more unless, unless The Fiend really, really sets this new trend off of, of big characters again, which I hope it does, because that's part of what I loved about wrestling was like the more out there characters um i think that trend's dying because indie wrestling has taught everybody that to be a great wrestler you have to be a good wrestler and that's it like it, it's all about the gimmick is just i'm really good at wrestling i'm really tough so okay but what sets you aside from the other ten thousand people that are really good at wrestling and really tough and for me that's why i, I sort of lean more on the classic character um wrestlers like and when i think of like my all times what does your mum reckon to the work you do now uh she's very proud obviously um i don't think she quite grasps it like she understands youtube and everything she understands it's my job um and like she watches the channel and she watches videos um but i don't think well i, the, I got noticed once when i was out with her in town i think that solidified it a little bit for her where it was like oh, like, who was that? And I was like, it's just somebody who watches the channel. And she was like, what? I was like, yeah. And like, I think my dad uh, slightly understands more because my dad, my mom's like, she's not a technophobe, but she like, she just, she's got better things to do than sit on YouTube all day. <laughs> so like, uh, like my dad is sort of a little bit more like free with technology and stuff. So I think he grasps it just a little bit more. But yeah, she's, she's super proud. Um, she was like really happy when we broke off on her own. So yeah before we go on to breaking off on your own yes the figures are out there aren't they yes i've got to bring them in oh, i can't stop thinking about them well, it's the it's the trick. big blue budweiser bag, the big blue budweiser bag. That one. yes right i think we've got to bring them in this is basimir right pull out from from the bag so this is this is one of my favorites so, was raven uh big raven fan but yeah none of these are going to stand i don't think because they they just don't stand do they well, Oh, but, no, they're always bad at that. So this is... Yeah, I've got a Sting, original WCW, is it Toys Biz, whatever the company was called. Well, I'd like to point out this bit <laughs> genuinely isn't, wasn't part of what we were going to do today. Yeah. Like, when you dropped that in there, I was like, we have to bring them in. Yeah. So uh, it's so funny how you can tell the difference between, like, WCW figures and WWF well, figures. Because they do things like this. <laughs> like they've got they've got like kung fu grip and stuff and also sting is like a foot shorter than raven yeah <laughs> but ddp from the same collection is is we had a, a moment years ago for christmas where my nan <laughs> brought for my brother a wcw ring so the wwf ring yes with the, was Hell it the one on. with, the, with the cushion it was the one with the springy, the springy uh, it's got like a springy like uh, piece of material underneath there was a thing that would just go like yeah. Noises. yeah it was great I'm but there was sure hell on super super collectible now <laughs> we've got one of those at home we've got the WWF carry case one somewhere at home which was like a a ring with a handle that 
unclipped and went inside ah. so you could store everything inside. Uh, and then you'd take the turnbuckles and everything out, you'd put it all together, um, and then you could sort of just pack it all down again. We've got the elimination chamber somewhere as well. It's like wow. cute. I think it was my brother's, but... Oh, I love that. Yeah. So these are some of your faves. They've got DDP, uh, these got a bit of sting. I'm just pulling these Just out. pulling out oh, random yeah. ones. So were these just at home? Was it a case of your mum saying, look, are you going to do anything with these? No, it was sort of like, I just brought them in for the sake of just, like, maybe we can use them for something. Well, we're using them now. Yeah. They're now tax deductible. Random X pack. Hey. Unposable. That's weird. Why was it that Sean Waltman, every single Sean Waltman figure always had his tongue sticking out? <laughs> because that's, that's what X pack yeah. does. Every single with, one. With a massive okay, knee. That. Sid has a knee. <laughs> it's, it's, it's just as functional as yeah, an actual that's one. That's one. <laughs> yeah, this... like, there's, I mean, we could go on all day and Yeah, we'll, 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 leave, we'll, leave, we'll leave those ones out just whilst we're continuing this. Sid's out. not going to sting. Have yeah. a sit down, mate. Have a sit down, Sid. He's uh, bless him. There he goes. Um, is he going? Have a lie down, mate. Have a lie down. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. You talked about the, the 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 change, the move from where you were before to Cultaholic. Yes. Yeah. Talk us through from your experience the day that all broke. Because I was a fan of what you guys were doing. Yeah. And I remember it all coming down the line. Yeah. Talk us well, through. Well, it uh it sort of it happened a lot earlier than we anticipated. Um and uh we knew there'd be some reaction. We knew there'd probably be a statement to get out like in front of what was going to happen. Um, and yeah, it was scary, man. It was super scary because it was like, it was all well and good sitting there like giving it big uh, and like, you know, after a couple of pints going, we could do this. But <laughs> when when you're staring it down, like it's like, could we? Like, are we going to do this? Is it going to work? Um was but, the f- was the first meeting about Cultaholic over several beers? 
Because it... I always picture it being a bit like how you plan. It's like how you plan to go to Ibiza with your mates after several beers. It but was... in this case, it's we're going to run a company. Yeah, it was. It was more like something that had germinated in all of our minds separately. I think, but we all sort of went, "Nah, it probably wouldn't work." Um, and then when we realised that we were all sort of on the same page, um, and we were sort of at a level where we were ready to do it. Um, and we were in a position mentally where it was the only option for us, um, then it had to be done. So I think it was very much something that would get thrown around almost jokingly over a couple of beers. Um, and then over time, it just sort of started getting more and more serious. And it was like, well, no, actually, if you if you look at this and if you break this down and if you work that out and if all of these things fall in line, then we have a chance here. And it was very much uh, one of those situations. And it was sort of, it's when you take that first step, it's like, right, well, I'm betting on myself so you can't let yourself down. And so it's, and as somebody who, somebody who sort of goes into most things expecting the worst, because if you expect the worst, you can never be disappointed in life. <laughs> um, it, it led to me having to completely change the way I think about things and working like I, I wouldn't like, I'd keep everything going, RSS feeds, anything like when at the time, like me and Jack lived in the same house with a few other people. We had a set of lights. We had a, a cheap crap pop-up green screen. We had like all of this stuff. Um, and it was all set up in my room, which was the front room of this big old house. Um, and so there was a couch and we put this green screen up and at like two in the morning, if something broke, it would be like either I'd knock on Jack or Jack would knock on me. And he'd be like, let's go. And so it was just round the clock. Like we have to just deliver and deliver and deliver. We had to shoot WTF like outside in various locations until we could secure the office and get that all down. And it was a massive undertaking, but just sort of, yeah, it's weird to look back on. It's weird that we're two years old now. Hindsight's twenty twenty, and yeah. we know that you know this. This has been a successful business yeah. to date. And is was there a point though in the first few weeks where you may have thought to yourself? I've made a big mistake here. No, more. There's. I mean, there's there's certain things where it, it's just sort of like. It was very trying. It was very testing. Um, there was a point where I don't think any of us thought it would go on. Um, and, you know, I think we we banded together and we we had to just look this impossibility in the face and, and do it. And that was it. So it's sort of, we, we had to really dig deep for that. But I think there was a point where we all sort of thought, you know, this this is it. Like, we're sort of cooked here. That's the end of it. Because it was a risk to enter um, a crowded market for this sort of thing. And, and and a market that's even more crowded two years on. And a market that, that our main competition, yeah. we, we had built. So, or we not what we had built, that we'd had a hand in building. Mm. So like, like it's sort of, yeah, it was, it was, I think we just believed that like people liked watching us as a unit. People enjoyed our back and forth. People enjoyed us as personalities. Not so much me, because I wasn't really on camera at the time, but like people enjoyed the flow of the stuff that we were doing. So if people liked that, then, you know, they don't have to unsubscribe from anything else. Like they can watch everything, but they'll hopefully watch us 
because you know they like that stuff. If we can bring that stuff over here, then they'll watch it. The plan wasn't originally for you to do as much front of camera stuff as you do. No, there was uh, sort of we had to have a shake up, and there were certain uh, circumstances that led to me being. Uh, you know, a personality. And it's something that initially I was a bit like, oh God, like I'm sort of, I was always the guy behind the camera. That's how I liked it. Like I hated being in front of camera, hated it at uni, hated it whenever anybody like even like dared to try and get me in front of camera. It was like, nah. Um, but I would, you know, slowly do a little bit here and there at the old place, like in some reaction videos. Uh, and even then I was sort of like, uh, but this was a whole different kettle of fish because it was like voiceover and uh, presenting solo. And I, that first graded, I think took me probably an hour to shoot. And it's just like, I think I, the only reason I knew I could do graded was because I got really drunk and did crown jewel graded. And I had a lot of fun doing that. I think that was my first graded video, but I, I basically just got, just got absolutely wankered and, and poked fun at a show. But, um, yeah, it was sort of weird, very weird, but I'm I'm getting more and more confident, more and more comfortable in front of camera, um, and hopefully going to move on to some more interesting stuff this year. What would you tell yourself um, two years ago that you didn't probably know then? What would you advise yourself? Just keep your head down, keep working. This is it. Just, just keep going. Like, that's sort of all you can really do. It's like... Don't allow yourself to get complacent. Just don't, just keep going. Just keep pushing forward because if, you know, it works like a well-oiled machine. If I'm not constantly pushing forward, uh, then, you know, that's it's one cog down. So we need to make sure the machine's always running, make sure that all the parts are okay, make sure that everything's fine um, and just keep delivering what people expect of us and then go above and beyond that. Because I always, like I've come from a background in production where it's like, you know, you always deliver on time and above expectations. So um, hopefully that's what we're going to continue to do. Would you say you're your own worst critic? Oh, yeah, you've got to be. It's sort of um, like in in the nature of post-production, like that whole circle, you pride yourself on your attention to detail. And in a more traditional setting, like when I worked on films and when I worked uh, in corporate media, the editor is invisible. So the the whole goal with post-production and editing is for you to not exist because nobody will ever, unless it's something ridiculous, nobody will ever celebrate an editor. They will always see bad editing, but they will never, like if you've done your job well enough, they'll never really notice like a good editing job. So coming in and having to turn that on its head because we obviously do the complete opposite. Um, yeah, he's... Do you, do you feel like that's fair? Do you feel like editors should get more of a I, more, I think more it's love? Of, I think it's the nature of the work. I think it's sort of like you you have pride in what you do and that attention to detail. And like if you like, for instance, like if we we have like a video come in and there is like something out of place or there is like the smallest bit of like uh, a mat that's being left or something like that where it's like I notice it immediately. Um, but then I have to apply that to my own work because if I'm missing things, then I'm not the best editor I can be. So if I'm going to 
you know, go off rhythm, if I'm going to do X, Y, Z, if I'm not going to get everything tight and together, then what's the point? Like, if you do something, you do it to the best of your ability. Um, and you should always strive to be the best at what you do. I get that that's sort of not toxic, but it's like, it's a weird way to sort of look at yourself where it's like either do the best or just don't bother. But I think it pushes me. I think I, I'm the sort of person that needs that sort of um, deliver, just like deliver what you want to deliver and do it better than you thought you could. Um, and yeah, there's times where, you know, I've done edits and I'm like, oh, that's terrible. But then you can't beat yourself up too much about it. You've got to sort of, you, because at the end of the day, it's a, it's a video about wrestling on the internet. <laughs> it's not like you're, yeah. you're editing Jurassic Park remake or whatever. Like it, it's, it's, it's not like this huge era defining thing, but it's important to somebody out there. And there will always be somebody that picks up on it. And therefore, because it's the new TV, man, like it, it's the new TV. You've got to have that standard. Otherwise, if you don't, then it's the Wild West. And people aren't going to expect, you know, X, Y, and Z out of video because they don't know if it's going to have this, they don't know if it's going to have that because it changes so wildly. And it's why we have like a set style. But yeah, I think I'm definitely my own worst critic, but got to be yeah and also like the the pace that we work at as well there's only yeah. so much you can allow yourself to do that what do you do when you're not working and when you're not and when you're not doing anything to do with wrestling uh did it's... you find that with because because i found that being here suddenly yeah. my hobby became my job yeah so like <laughs> it's it's one of those things where i can't go home and watch wrestling to relax like or, or at least normally so like what i'll do is sometimes I'll, I'll get a hankering for like, oh, I'm going to watch WrestleMania 18, and I will do it. But I I tend to just, because the, the I think about it all day, the last thing I want to think about is, is, you know, SmackDown or Raw or whatever, just for a couple of hours. Like, not in a bad way. It's not like I hate wrestling or anything. I love wrestling. It's just that I've done it all day, and I used to not do that. I used to go home and watch wrestling. So now... I needed to find something else. I got back into video games. Um, I'm sort of like gently starting to collect video games and, and consoles and stuff and older stuff like that. It's sort of become a hobby. Um, you got a Sega Saturn just before Christmas, didn't you? Yes, so I'm trying to collect every <laughs> Sega console. Um, so and, and hopefully get a pretty hefty set of original games in good condition. But... Yeah, like I, I don't really do a lot. I've got, uh, I've been playing guitar for like fifteen years. I think fifteen, sixteen years this year. So I play guitar. I, I need to get my drum kit set back up. I have a pachinko machine. I watch films like a lot because I, um, recently started like wanting to write again. I've, I've had ideas just floating around for ages that I've just not had time or patience to put down. Um, there's a lot of other stuff I just sort of spitball in my head for new ideas for the channel. Work never really stops, which is the weird thing. Um, it's harder when my living room has like a signed picture of the great mooter in it as well. <laughs> I could probably help myself by not having wrestling stuff around, but um, it's, yeah, it, it's sort of hard. Uh, I read comics. I, I'm trying to just sort of find a new hobby, I think, mainly. Like I'm I'm trying a lot of things out, but I haven't really found one that stuck but yeah do you find it difficult to switch off yeah like i it, it's all constantly it's it's all wrestling so it's i 
nine times out of ten, if I'm not working, I'm sat on like Squared Circle or Twitter or like just looking through random ass old galleries on WWE.com or like because I find it interesting or I'm reading about wrestling or I'm I'm trying to discover something new. Like the wrestling I do watch now when I get in tends to be uh, CMLL, uh, AAA. Um, it's the whole reason I fell in love with Japan is because like I I got to a point where I think it was the first two years of me doing this like in my entire career uh, I just got burned out I was like I can't even think about wrestling and then it was Wrestle Kingdom 9 and there was such a buzz around it and I was like screw it and put it on uh, it had English commentary which was an ordeal but like it was it was great and it was the most accessible Wrestle Kingdom ever um, and it blew me away so having that new thing because it was so different to WWE that really made me want to engage with it more as we've started covering new japan more i've sort of cooled down on that a little bit i'll still put the occasional saturday morning show on but i'll i've cooled down on that i tend to move more toward mexico i'm going to try and just balance it in a circle i think so i can sort of through different months move into different types of wrestling um just to keep it bubbling away but so it doesn't become work yeah so it doesn't become work but it will eventually become work because that's the nature <laughs> of the business so do you try and put stuff in place to help the work-life balance? Um, in what respect? In in because uh, for like for me personally, it's yeah. it's learning to leave your phone in the bedroom. Yeah. Or it's it's learning to go somewhere without it altogether. Yeah. I don't know how you whether you try succeed or fail with stuff like that because I'm not very good. I. I'm sort of really. I have a very 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 hard time taking work out of my head like I, I can't really do it it's just sort of it's the nature of what we do with it being a company we started it's always in there um i'm lucky enough to uh, be able to go down uh, country to my girlfriends and get away from newcastle because newcastle sort of because it's where my work has always been I sort of tie the city to just work stresses and stuff so it's nice to be able to get out um but yeah, I, I'd sort of, for me, I don't, I guess it's a problem, but like it's it's not at the same time because it's it doesn't so much bother me. I'd rather be, you know, sat with my phone next to me and have an alert come through going like, this has happened and no, then get in the next day and be like, I didn't know. And yeah, it, it's, it's sort of, I'm always thinking about editing. I'm always thinking about ways we can streamline stuff. I'm always thinking about, you know, if the team are okay, what we can do to make things a bit more fun, um, like how we're going to utilize new spaces, which, you know, like the studio up here, like we've got these chairs, they might go at some point, what are we going to do? Like with that, I it never turns off. Like it, it's just always, always on. You mentioned your girlfriend down country. Yes. How did you guys meet? Uh, so we, we met for the first time at a meet and greet, funnily enough. Um, but then... Uh, she's a tattoo artist, so um, I'd seen that she'd done some designs for Triple Jump before, um, just like the, a flash sheet, sort of jokingly. Um, and then I approached her to see if uh, she could design me a T-shirt, and then just sort of took off from there. Is she a wrestling fan as well? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So do you find that it's different? Do you find that you fight it even more so to switch off she's more of a video gaming fan than a wrestling fan like she she doesn't watch weekly shows she'll watch like the occasional nxt she'll stay in the loop um 
she'll you know like we watched the rumble the other night she'll watch mania um she's more of a casual wrestling fan i guess so it's a lot easier to sort of not talk about it um at all but yeah. that being said we watch dark side of the ring a lot um <laughs> we watch like and you know there's just like loads of stuff like that um i think when we're in tokyo in october we're going to try and check out a stardom show or a uh, ddt show maybe know if there's something running um but yeah it's sort of it's a lot easier because she prefers video games so we can just talk about that which is nice. I'm actually excited for your Tokyo trip. Not because I'm coming with you. I was going to say. <laughs> not been invited formally. As much as I, as much as I love you, this is, uh, I need to get away from all of you guys. And <laughs> not been invited yet. Um, but um, because I saw when you guys went to Japan for New Japan. Yeah. And what's, what's, what's really obvious in that video mm. is the joy in your eyes when you're there. Oh, yeah. It, was, it feels it was... like your happy place. It was like, it was weird. It was just weird, like, going somewhere you've never been and then feeling like it's, like, home. It was really, really strange because I always wanted to go. Like, I've always been a little weeb, so, like, always wanted to go. Um, and then, you know, getting somewhere and having it be everything you thought it was going to be and more um, and enjoying it. Like, we had such a good time. We were lucky enough to meet guys like Tamatonga, Hanare, um, other members of the Bullet Club family. And it was just sort of to have that experience and to be able to share it with, like, two of my mates. It was the best thing ever. But I think the problem for me there was that uh, Richard stayed an extra week and I was going to, but I just couldn't afford it. Um, and then he came back and he's like, hey, we got so much better. Like, oh, we didn't have to work. And I was you like, don't oh. want to hear that, do you? So I was like, well, I need to go back. So planned it and, yeah. Uh, missing the G1 final though by a couple of days but oh. it's fine it's fine uh, one thing away from wrestling that you're looking forward to doing out there uh, I I don't know I really like arcades I really like sushi I really like pretty much everything that's going on but I I don't know I think just mainly just drinking and having a good time um just getting lost in a new city is always good. Is there a bar or a pub in in, in your mind? Uh, I always think about the Izakaya. Like, so Izakaya are like, um, they're like small post-war bars with like eight, nine stools. That's it. So it's like a bar, stools, and a toilet at the end. And they're all very long and narrow and, or small and compact. Um, there was one in Golden Guy, which is like an area, like a touristy trap area. Um that we were in and it, they were just playing like old school Pink Floyd and just weird psychedelic stuff and we were just sat there drinking whiskeys and highballs and uh, beers and it was just great so like something like that again I'll probably do um, just go get a bit little bit arsehole but, <laughs> <laughs> but I think mainly I'm looking forward to you know go and see some shrines and, and just wander around I think I'm going to try and do uh, Fuji, I don't know. We'll see. Now, before we get to your final match, yes. the other three things that you're allowed to take with you on the island right. are a movie, yeah. an album, yeah. and a luxury item. Right. What's your movie? So, movies. I know. I'm, I'm expecting something by Tarakovsky coming your way. Uh, so, yeah, it's funny you say Tarkovsky. Um, so, the, I like a broad range of cinema. So I was sort of indro uh, in in indoctrinated <laughs> into like world cinema uh, through film studies. Uh, I love the work of Andre Tarkovsky. I love the work of Jean-Pierre Jeunet. I love the French New Wave. I love the German New Wave, uh, the Italians. Like it's all great. And then at the same time, I love trash car crash blockbusters. <laughs> and like I 
I just love everything to do with films. Um, so it's, it's really hard for me to choose one. Um, I think if I was going to choose something, it's sort of a toss-up. You either go for something that's going to make you super happy, something that's going to make you reminisce, or something massively long and complex that you need to watch a thousand times to get your head around, like Primer. Um, you could pick a film like Stalker by Tarkovsky, which is like nearly four hours long. Um, and it's all about like the metaphysical argument, all this crazy stuff. Um, and at the end of all of it, like there's films like Reservoir Dogs, which I, I adore, like, but I don't think I could watch it again and again and again. But there's one film that I can... I can go back to every single time, no matter how much I've watched it, and it always, always makes me happy, and it's Amelie. Uh, Amelie is my favourite film in the world, hands down. Everything about it is so well done. Like, the colour, everything. Like, Jeunet's amazing. The performances are amazing. The music is unbelievable. Um, and it just it's a film that, no matter what, cheers me up. So I think I'd probably take Amelie. But, yeah. How about an album? Uh, again, this is really hard because like music was like really music was my first love. Like wrestling didn't really factor until after I started like really enjoying music. Um, I always figured I'd end up doing something in music rather than what I do. Um, but it's weird because like I I'm into really really heavy stuff, and I'm into really really weird stuff. And I love like stuff like Meshuggah. I like stuff like Strapping Young Lad. I like stuff like Gorgoroth and Dark Throne and, and Abbath and all these like, you know, just like weird Scandinavian, like just heavy, heavy, heavy. But at the same time, like I'm a huge fan of Pink Floyd. I'm a huge fan of Rush. I'm a huge fan of Dream Theater. And I like Prog. I like all that stuff. And there's probably two albums it would boil down to. Um, one is dark side of the moon because uh, it's just amazing um, and that's really hard because I wanted to pick animals but dark side of the moon's got a bit more going on um, and then my, my other favourite bands are Pixies and Nine Inch Nails they also love Smashing Pumpkins that whole scene um, as much as I love Pixies I'd probably have to go with Nine Inch Nails so I think it's a toss up between with Nine Inch Nails, the Downward Spiral or the Fragile, but the Downward Spiral is so depressing that you've got to cut it loose. So it's either the Fragile or Dark Side of the Moon, and I, if I had to pick it, it would probably be the Fragile because there's so much more on it, um, and it's really well-structured, and it's not as down. It's quite hopeful in places. It's quite nice in places. It's quite aggressive and horrible in places. It's got like a nice blend of emotion going into the album. So I think I'd go with the Fragile. Who do you say, would you say, influenced your music taste? Uh, I, I grew up in a household with, like, uh, Iron Maiden, Black Sabbath, Thin Lizzy. Uh, but then stuff as weird as, like, uh, it, it would go from, like, that to, like, ABBA to Boney M to, like, uh, like Bob Marley to just weird, like, Rick Astley. Like, but I, I think, like, I used to sit and just stare at vinyls. Like, my dad had, like, a set of vinyls, and I'd just sit and stare at, like, a copy of Number of the Beast, uh, with the really cool artwork and like all the strings being pulled and like just sit and stare at this really ornate, cartoony, violent artwork um, and like just get obsessed with it. So I think it was more that and then like 
just as I grew, I think I just started getting into angry and angrier music. I picked up guitar. My guitar teacher was a guy that basically specialized in, in heavy music. And so that was uh, just sort of bred into me from there. Pantera, like, was some of the stuff I learned the most. Um, and, yeah. And then on top of that, I started listening to Aphex Twin and... Which is, I just, I don't know what's going on with my music tastes. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, but that's, no, never, you should never say sorry. Yeah. Why do you feel like you say sorry? I don't feel like I need to say sorry. It's just like, you know, people get very, very protective over, you can only listen to one type of music. Yeah, um, they do, don't Especially they? in the metal scene where it's like, this isn't true metal. Do you get that quite a bit then with certain bands you like? You I tend to be like that. With certain... Oh, right. Well, it's no, good then. You can call upon it. Yeah, I can sit there and be like, this band sucks. <laughs> but... Um, about a luxury item? Uh, I'd probably take... Uh, I have a John Five, uh, former Marilyn Manson, current Rob Zombie guitarist. Uh, I have a signature series gold top uh, Telecaster of his with Seymour Duncan's and everything in it. Uh, and if I could get some indestructible strings and a way for it to make sound, then then I'd be taking that. How did you come across that? What the guitar? Yeah, I just I I, I like him. Was it just was it a purchase you made? Was it, it was a purchase I made. It was a stupid. It was one of those things where like at my old job, it was like the first year I worked there. Uh, I got a bonus, and I went to the cinema with my friend, and I foolishly told him that I got a bonus, and he's the worst influence in the world. Uh, <laughs> and he went, Oh look look, let's just go into the guitar shop. You've got a bonus. And I was like, yeah, 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 it's fine. And then walked in and it was just there. And I was like, oh, <laughs> like, I can't not buy it now. So I had to go and buy it. And uh, it's it's the greatest guitar I've owned so far in terms of setup. I own like a Les Paul, like a Gibson Les Paul Custom, which is beautiful, great guitar. But I don't know, this 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 telly's just unbelievable. What was the first guitar you owned? Uh, I owned a, an Encore Strat copy, still own it. Uh, it went out of tune all the time. It was almost impossible to play anything meaningful on it. It sounded like tin, just just awful. Um, but it was my first guitar, so I'll never never sell it on. And how did you come to to own it? Was it bought for you? Did you buy it yourself? I well, I I originally started off by learning in school, like we'd learn keyboards and we'd learn Glockenspiel, and then my cousin had a clarinet that was no longer in use and it was like do you want to learn clarinet and it was like alright uh, and clarinet and saxophone are very similar so you can sort of fill in the gaps and, and sort of learn both at once if you if you really apply yourself um, and then but I'd always end up giving them up because I was always just like well it's boring who wants to listen to clarinet and like my teacher's teaching us Ode to Joy and I'm like I can't be asked like <laughs> Ode to Joy, like, it's great, but it's just... It's like, it's boring. Um, and then around that time, I was like, yeah, MTV2 was a thing, um, and you just see people like Kurt Cobain just trashing equipment or Sonic Youth just smashing stuff up and using prepared guitars and all this stuff. And it was like cool. It was just effortlessly cool. And then I think it was like, I was 13? I think it was 13, it was either 12 or 13, but at Christmas I was like, I want a guitar. And my parents were like, really? I was like, yeah. And they were like, well, you know, you've given up on X, Y, and Z. I was like, I'm not going to give up on guitar. And they were like, you said that about the other ones. I was like, <laughs> yeah, but I'm, I'm not going to give up on guitar. So they got me a guitar reluctantly, and then I just sort of took it from there. Like, I was really serious about it. Um, re like, sought out a proper teacher and everything, and that was sort of it. It just sort of came to me that way. 
Uh, it's nice when when people watch the news and you bust it out. I'm always impressed at the speed you learn new songs. Uh, it's it's sort of as long as it's chords, like you find. Like, yeah. it's, I never play anything properly. Uh, but it's such a <laughs> but it's such a skill. Like I I'm I'm pretty tone deaf, and I, and the idea of picking up a guitar terrifies me. But guitar, but you're just like boom. Guitar's really that, easy bang. as long as you can keep it in tune. Like it, it's everybody seems to be really like phased by it, and I was like it's daunting when you first start because mm. you know there's a certain way you hold the pick, but you know it doesn't matter if you don't hold it completely correct because some of the greatest guitarists in history hold their picks really weird. So it's like, you've got to find something that's comfortable for you that fits within the realm of everything else so that you can tune it. And then once you can tune it, you just learn shapes. You just learn <laughs> positions for your fingers and that's it. It's like, all you have to do is keep it in tune and keep your left heart, like arm and hand, like dexterous, that's it. Like, it's really, really simple to pick up as long as you're willing to suck ass for about three weeks to a month <laughs> um, and then you'll teach yourself something and you'll notice that you can actually pick properly and it all starts coming in naturally uh if you learn like really simply like with things like rage against the machine riffs and like jericho's oh, sorry, board sorry, jericho. um but you sort of like learn very slowly and you pick things up and um it, it's super easy it's just learning shape but it's a, it must be a passion thing because well, we spoke earlier on and you talked about how you know with with some uh, line of work you're Either either do it great or don't do it. Yeah, you know the ability to to push through that that suck barrier. Yeah, to smash guitar shows it's obviously it's well yeah within I, you. I wouldn't say I'm a great player to any degree, but like I um, yeah you just sort of if you want something you've got to go after it I guess yeah. yeah. Let's get to your third and final match for your DVD, sir. So we've had two sentimental ones. Uh, this one's purely a Sam pick. This <laughs> one's purely a Sam pick. And it's all mine, and I would literally stand there on this island and watch it on a loop. Uh, it is the final meeting, the final singles meeting between Tiger Mask 1, Satoru Siyama, and Dynamite Kid from New Japan Pro Wrestling Big Fight Series on 21st of April, 1983. Wow. So why that one in particular? Because it's explosive. So the, <laughs> these guys have been having a feud for ages. Um, it's been back and forth. Tiger Mask, I don't know if you've seen... Uh, Tiger Mask won much. Um, We've had a few people suggest Tiger Mask and Dynamite Kid as their so, matches, which is which, yeah. which is testament to. So Satoru Siyama, uh, the first Tiger Mask, he came to the UK. I think he went to Mexico and the US as well. Um, but he came to the UK and worked World of Sport as Sammy Lee, um, and he was blending this mixture of styles, like British American uh, and almost martial arts style to the point where he was lightning fast, and it was amazing. So they gave him the whole gimmick with Tiger Mask, they did the tie-in, um, and he just became like a super superhero. Uh, and then you had Dynamite Kid, who was just a contemptible little evil, <laughs> like even in real life. Uh, but like, <laughs> he, but the thing with Dynamite was that he was, he was just so good. Like you can't look at his matches and be like, they're bad. Like he, he's just 110% at all times, otherwise what's the point? It's again, it's sort of like that. But when you watch this match, they are 30 years ahead of their time. Like they're hitting suicide dives. There's package pile drivers to the outside. There's a double count out halfway through the match. And it's like, what's going on? And the crowd don't like dynamite's not having it. So he continues, referees trying to stop. Um, and then Tiger Mask's like, no, I'm okay. Ref restarts the match. Crowd goes ape. Like wow. everything, it goes and then it ends in a double count out. And it's like, what? And then it's, it's just properly high energy back and forth like you could put that on any indie card in the world today and it would blow everything else on the, the card out of the water like it, it's amazing utterly utterly amazing it's just 
excitement. Like I think the open and exchange is sort of they they pace around a little bit. Dynamite goes sprinting at Tiger Mask. Tiger Mask just sort of goes up and up over his back like it's nothing, and then just locks him straight up, and it's like. Just mental, just mental. Which two wrestlers in 2020 do you feel could assemble a match on that level? Osprey and I'm trying to think because because we're not short of of incredibly talented performers in the ring. Not yeah. that we were then, but I'm just trying to think of more like a, a direct specialist. I think if you took somebody like Osprey and I mean if you keep with New Japan you could probably use Ibushi um, or if you wanted to go real weird like Osprey versus somebody like Chad Gable with a firm wrestling background mm-hmm. like then you might get that sort of contrast because Dynamite was like so world of sport tie everybody in knots but at the same time violently explosive and then Tiger Mask knew everything but was more of a like crazy high flyer um but Osprey's a shout for, for whoever his opponent would be. Like he's probably the only guy I think that would be able to capture that energy and utilize it. Would you say Osprey's one of your favorites? Oh, 100%. He's one of the nicest yeah. guys in the world. Uh he's just like straightforward, one of the best wrestlers alive, like probably <laughs> in history. So that's it. Before we go, um I want you to tell your story about JR. <laughs> this is the one that now. This is a story that that me and Sam have spoke about off camera. It's been on. We mentioned it on the uh, WCPW podcast. As did well. you Did you yeah. talk about it there as well? Yeah. Well, I'd, I'd quite like to hear it again. Okay, because so I think it's a nice way to end it on. On the on the day of our first eye pay per view, way back at the old place, um, I was. I can't swear. I was pooing myself uh, horribly. Like it was. I didn't think I was ready. I didn't think I was anywhere near qualified for the situation i thought it was gonna explode i didn't think everything would be ready on time like it was approaching the hour that everything was gonna go live uh and then jim Cornette showed up and he was really cordial jr showed up and i sort of froze because it's weird because jr's voice is just his voice like he doesn't put on an announcing voice that's his voice so it's like the voice of your childhood is just sort of like you know talking to you but he's being quite like work based so it's like what's happening where's the shooting schedule and it's like uh um and then we we had like a a a meeting where we went through everything and we made sure that they had all their notes and we made sure that they like if they needed any water or energy drinks or anything like that it would be there for them and we just did sort of a dry run through the the order of the night um and corner got changed left everybody else left and i was sort of in there uh jr's on his phone and I was just sort of like, like just sort of stood there. And he was like, what's wrong? I was like, uh, so this is JR saying yeah. what's wrong. And he was like, you look nervous. So I was like, yeah. Uh, and he was like, he's like, we, why are you nervous? I was like, I've never done this before. He's like, first time. I was like, yeah. And he's like, what do you do? I was like, I do all the camera selection, my live direction, vision mixing. And he was like, well, do you like sport? I was like, yeah. He's like, do you like football, like American football? I was like, yeah. Asked me who I supported and told him. Um, and then we had like a little conversation. And then he um, he said, the thing is like, you, you don't want to shoot it like everybody else is shooting it these days. Like it's so convoluted. He's like, just show the action. Just like football doesn't have crash zones when somebody gets hit. It's like, it just shows the action. Just show the action. 
and nobody can accuse you of like not doing your job to the best of your ability. It's like you just make sure you've always got coverage and just show whatever you can. And uh, and I started to like calm down, and then he sort of reached over to grab his hat and he just went. At the end of the day, just get out there, and he put his hat on, and then just like went on my back and was like and hit all the buttons baby and then fixed his hat and walked out and I was like <laughs> just went out smashed it and then uh, yeah the server crashed so nobody saw the paper <laughs> <laughs> away from that sad bit I, I love the JR pep talk story I was meant to it's one, one of my favourite my favourite 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 bit is that and like I knew he wasn't ever going to remember me because it's like you know it's, it's Jim Ross he meets a thousand people a day um and why why would he remember me? And we're, uh, we're at a, an Inside the Ropes uh, talk with JR in Newcastle. And I go up to him, meet him afterwards. And I knew it was coming. He went, nice to meet you, son. I'm Jim Ross. Oh. I, was like, I was like, yeah, that was great. That was like perfect. Oh, no. It made it like better for me because I was like, it's just perfect. It just, it means was... He just goes around giving pearls of wisdom to people <laughs> all the time. Like there wasn't anything significant in that. He just sort of showed me. You can do it. Just chill, chill with the F out. Like, you'd be fine. Well, as well as the, as one of the guys who very much is among our great team, sort of behind the scenes directing uh, some of the some of the amazing videos that you see. I know it was your brainchild, the Keith video. Yes. And I, and I always want to make sure. Yeah. Um, I think I speak on behalf of everybody who sat out there. We're very glad you're pressing the buttons, baby. Well, thank you. <laughs> and thank you for joining me on Cultaholic Island. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. For all the wrestling headlines in just 10 minutes, search Cultaholic Wrestling News on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Cultaholic.